It is amazing how a single event can impact eternity so much. Once you experience the Easter story, absolutely everything in your life changes. In this series, The Road to Easter, we will be taking a trip through the greatest story ever told. A story that helps us to live the life that God has for us. Join us on this trip of a lifetime. All right, a big uh, good morning to you. We good? Uh, are we good? All right, and uh, I want to say good morning, and maybe it's afternoon or evening to those that are listening online. I don't know, uh, we say this every once in a while, but we got a lot of people watching us online from all over the country and some places in the world, so let's give a big shout out to them. And uh, specifically last night, I, I got a text from a family that had just moved from here, and uh, they said, hey, uh, pastor, we watch you uh, in the service every Sunday, so shout out, I said, to Colorado, so uh, we'll do that. Now, not Colorado, the baseball team that beat the Dodgers yesterday, but our friends are in Colorado, all right? So um, yeah, I, I, I just, um, about 45 minutes ago, had a huge blessing um, I had my older son, Drew, up on stage, and my daughter-in-law, Christina, and my grandbaby, who's one years old now, and we just got to dedicate her to the Lord, so I'm pretty fired up about that. That was good, and uh, it was fun. I just have to do a, a, a grandpa moment. I don't know if I've even used that word grandpa from here, but uh, grandpa moment where we handed her her first Bible, and she just went <laughs> like, oh my, there you go, so it was, it was fun. Um, we are uh, on the uh, road to Easter. We've been on that for a little bit. This is our third week in that, and uh, it gets really good next week, by the way, spoiler alert. But uh, before we actually get there, I want to start off with a question. Have you ever started something and then kind of gave up or lost a little hope in the process and didn't finish it? Raise your hand. Okay. Those of you that aren't raising your hands... Um, can we talk afterwards? You're either really amazing or in denial. Um, because the reality is I think most of us can raise our hand, if not all of us, that we've, we've started something and weren't able to finish it. When I think about that, I think about my very first car, 1968 Mustang. And dad had got it for me. It was a project. It was really his project because I was useless. Unless it was a ball, I couldn't do anything with it. But he and I restored this thing, and mainly him. And I drove it as my first car in high school and then a little bit afterwards. And then when I got my next car, I held on to my 68 Mustang. Amen? It's a good call. Got married. I uh, had to convince Lisa that it was a good thing that it sat in the driveway. That was not always easy. But when we had Drew, our first child, it was really easy because I was always like, he'll want it. So she'll do anything for him, right? Oh, just, just let it sit there and collect dirt and rust and take up the driveway. But our first child will want it. He didn't want it because it looked like a piece of junk. Well, then it was time to get rid of it over and over again. But then Easton came along and it was, he'll want it. But what happened is during this whole process, there were days and moments where I would get excited about restoring this thing. But I'm, I'm useless. Even though it's a very simple car, every time it was money. And we didn't have a lot of money, so it was just like money in this dark pit. Eventually, and all the time, we always, you guys know this, we always got knocks on the door. You selling that thing? Because it's cool. It's a 1968 Mustang. And I always said no. And to Lisa's credit, she always said no. I think. 
caught a weak moment where we needed money, someone asked, and I sold it about five years ago after holding on to it for, gosh, almost 40 years. I lost hope in being able to restore that. So I wasn't able to finish. Can I just tell you, there's a thing called buyer's remorse, right? I have seller's remorse. I just kick myself for selling that thing. Have you ever started something and lost hope and weren't able to finish it? Now, that's not always my story. I, I think about um, probably about 20 years ago, um, I got this idea that I was going to get my master's in leadership. And so I started uh, the master's program. Um, actually, it wasn't 20 years ago. It was probably about more like 16, 17 years ago. I started that process. I took some classes, and then Easton was born. And all of a sudden, I had to stop all that and focus on this new baby in my life, right? And so I put that aside. Now, you fast forward to when I took over as lead pastor about six years ago. Uh, I don't even know what spurred this, but I decided I was going to finish what I had started. So I re-enrolled in the program. And, um, you know, there's zero time to do anything as lead pastor, even as associate pastor. But my days off are on Friday. So literally for two years, every Friday... I would go over to the village. Do we have anyone that likes the village? I love the village. And they had Pete's Coffee over there at the time. Do you remember that? The only reason I know that Pete's went under is because Pastor Rob stopped going there. Um, because every Friday I lived there and I did all my reading. I did all my classwork. Saturday I would usually take a break. Sunday I'd preach the two sermons here. And then after that I'd go in my office and work on my paper. Then I'd preach at five o'clock service. And then I'd go home and I'd be working on homework and writing the paper 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. But you know what? Every class I passed gave me hope and it got me closer to the end goal of getting my master's. I think it was about three years ago where I got to walk across the stage and I received my master's. I was able to finish something that I had started. I want you to think about that because that has a lot to do with today's message is really finishing. But really, I believe hope is the fuel that helps us finish something. Are you with me on that? And if you aren't, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get into my brain a little bit here today. So we're gonna continue this series, Road to Easter. Along it, we've made stops, just like in any good road trip, you make all these stops. We, we've made a, a stop at the Lord's Supper. Do you remember that? We made a stop at the Garden of Gethsemane. We made a stop at um, the prediction of Peter's denial. We made a stop at Jesus being ar arrested, right? We made a stop at Peter's denial. And um, we are going to make three more stops here today. Are you ready? <coughs> Father in heaven, help me. Um, boy, am I weak right now. I'm, I'm just, uh, just so grateful that you're strong. And I'm so grateful that you... Um, give hope, that you give strength, that you give all the things that are so necessary to equip us to do this thing called life. Uh, God, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my life right now and in the listeners uh, here in this room and online, that we would be able to connect to the greatest story ever told. Lord, not our will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name. All God's people said?
I want to bring you to uh, the the Bible right out the gate, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Incredible passage, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I want to stop right there. Isn't that a great image? The eyes of your heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the what? That you may know the what? That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Matter of fact, I think this verse is so good. I'd love for all of us to read it together. Are you ready? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Hope. Hope is the fuel that drives us to be able to finish. And just like the question that I started off with today, have you ever started something and in the journey lost hope that you would not finish it? Hope is important in keeping us going. And this is why I believe Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 is so important for us this morning. So with that said, there's the foundation laid for today's message. We're going to jump right into the story. And It's story time with Pastor Rob. That's why we're going to take a seat here today. Matthew chapter 27. Some of you just want to listen to this. Some of you read along. Some of you could just close your eyes. And uh, we're going to go on to, again, the greatest story ever told. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. Is that crazy? Jesus, the son of, of, of God, executed. So they bound him. The one in Matthew chapter 28 that says he has all authority and power in heaven and earth, they bound him. They led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with what? Let's say that, remorse. He was seized with remorse. This puts skin on the, uh, on the bones, you guys. This is, this is real stuff here, real emotion. Judas, who had betrayed him. Judas, who Jesus had handpicked three years prior. Judas, who Jesus poured into and believed in. This Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. He, seized, uh, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver, to the chief priest and the elders. That's a good thing, right? He felt bad, so he wanted to do good. He wanted to make right. He said what? I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your what? That's your responsibility. Now, one of the saddest verses of all scripture, verse five. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Let that sit for a moment. He was filled with remorse. He gave back the money. He had interaction with the people in which he made this deal with. And his response to all this was what? To take his own life. 
I told you we're going to make three stops today. The first stop is in the town of shame. The first stop is in the town of shame. Like, pastor, happy Palm Sunday. What side of the bed did you get up on? Well, I got up on the same side I usually do. But the reality is we're looking at the story. And I can't edit, I can't edit the greatest story ever told, can I? And part of the greatest story ever told is of this, this man named Judas. And Judas, Judas regretted, perhaps, remorsed over the decision that he had made that he betrayed Jesus, that he turned him over to these men. And so I believe, and you could argue with this, but I believe shame filled Judas' life. This is one of the hardest and saddest verses in all scripture, like I said earlier. You see, Judas recognizes that he was wrong, turns in the money. However, his response was to take his own life. And the reality is we all make mistakes, don't we? Yes, we all make mistakes. And the question is not whether we're going to make mistakes, but how do we respond to those mistakes? And shame is not how we should do so. It was interesting. I, had, I was preparing my message earlier this week, and I remembered a book called Let Hope In by Pete Wilson. Phenomenal book. And I was looking through my bookshelf, hundreds of books, and I found it, and I pulled it off. Literally, the second I pulled it off, I sat down, and I turned it over to the back cover. I just started reading it, and I got a phone call. It was one of those hard calls where someone was really in uh, despair, just struggling. Um, and actually, it's not funny, but... It's so amazing how God works because I used that back of the book cover three times that day. So there was a reason, not for this sermon, but for that moment. And, 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 and at the back of this book, it, it says some amazing things. But one of the things uh, that Pete Wilson says is this, shame is the heart disease of every era. People are dying from it, some quickly, others slowly. Definition of shame is, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did or something that was done to you. Did you catch that? Something you did or, and this is what we don't talk about often, something that was done to you. You see, there's a lot of people in our church, outside of our church, people that you engage with, people that, the person that you engage with in the mirror every morning that deal with this topic of shame. And some of it that we talk about has to do with something we've done. And so we're, we fill ourselves with shame. I am something wrong. And I'm suggesting Judas filled his life with shame. He, he felt like he had done something wrong and therefore it made him something wrong. But what's interesting about this definition, it's not just doing something wrong, but sometimes shame involves having something done to you right? You were completely innocent, but someone had done something to you, which created this clothing of shame. You had not, not done anything to deserve it, but instead of understanding that, what I understand is we start thinking, I deserve this. I did do something to deserve this bad that was done to me. Therefore, we put on shame too. Is this making sense? So, our first stop 
is shame. And you're like, pastor, why, why are you hitting this hard? Because we need to. Because shame takes away all hope. Did you catch that? And if hope is taken away and that's the fuel that keeps us going, then it could cause us to make some crazy, over-the-top decisions that aren't healthy for us. Are you tracking with me? And so we, we need hope. I need hope. Do you need hope? And if shame enters into the picture, shame is like a vacuum cleaner and it just sucks all the hope out of us to the point, in this case, the most extreme point, Judas takes his life. Now, I want to put a thought out there. Didn't Peter do the same thing Judas did? And you could argue even a little greater. Like, Pastor, what are you talking about? Remember what Pastor John talked about last week? He talked about loneliness, but he talked about the story of um, Peter's denial of Christ. Peter denies Christ three times. Not one time, not two times, but how many times? He denies Jesus Christ three times. I would argue it's the same type of sin that Judas had committed. Judas denied Christ, Peter denied Christ. But one was filled with guilt, in my opinion, and one was filled with shame. One understood they had done something wrong, and one came to the conclusion that they were something wrong. One still had hope, because guilt doesn't take away all hope, and one was filled with shame that sucked away all hope. And if you follow their stories, one ended up preaching the very first sermon ever preached after Jesus ascended to heaven, and one stopped all potential of any kind of ministry impact ever. Are you with me? So remember at every stop, I wanna, I wanna take a souvenir or a memory. So what's the souvenir and memory we could take from the city of shame? Keep going. Keep going. Don't ever give up. First sermon I ever preached, 18 years old. I could preach on anything. I remember the title. Keep on keeping on. How cheesy is that? But you know, that's the story of my life. That's why I'm here today, because I just keep on keeping on. Because there's been many times in my life where I've wanted to quit. Wanted to quit ministry. Not quit God, quit ministry. But there's always hope. And there's hope in your life today too. All God's people said... And here's, here's, here's what's beautiful about this. See, shame sees no hope. Because it's like what Pastor John talked, I always point over here because that's where usually Pastor John sits for service, by the way, if you're wondering. Pastor John talked about loneliness last week, didn't he? Shame isolates us. Shame disconnects us from God and it disconnects us from others. And then the devil's got us right where he wants us, alone. Because remember, the devil only goes after that which is by itself. It doesn't go out by packs of, doesn't, the, the devil's like a lion and lions don't go after packs of animals. Are you with me? So I want to say this. 
You can have hope, not because Pastor Rob's always going to be there for you, or because your family's always going to be there for you, or because your life group's going to always be there for you, or your coworkers are always going to be for you. I hope they are, but I can't promise you that. But I can promise you this, God will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, one of my favorite verses is on Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and we look at it usually around Christmas because it's a prophecy talking about this Jesus. But part of it is the, the, the passage in Isaiah nine, six goes on to say about Jesus that he's a wonderful counselor, that he's a mighty God, that he's a prince of peace, but I passed over one. What did I pass over? He's everlasting father. You see, my father passed away from this earth over 10 years ago. I still miss him. I miss those phone calls. I miss those, the encouraging words. I miss the interaction. I miss the advice. But here's the reality. Our heavenly father never dies. Our heavenly father never leaves us. Whether we want him there or not, by the way, he's there. And isn't that beautiful? And so we have no reason to ever lose hope because even when people might disappoint us and we may disappoint ourselves, God is always there with us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, I have all authority and power in heaven and earth. And it goes on to say, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then he says, continue to teach them all that I've commanded you. But here's what I want you to look at in this verse, the last part. And I am with you, what? I'm with you always. You see, church, we have enough to finish. We may not be enough, but he is enough. And as long as we stay connected with him, Eddie, right? As long as we stay connected with him, we're gonna be able to finish. And all God's people said, you see, Again, Peter and Judas both denied Christ. One held on to hope and one lost all hope. The one thing that I want you to take away from this is keep going. Remember Ephesians chapter one, verse 18? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance is the holy people. The reason we can finish and the reason we have hope is because God is always there. Let's go back to story time with Pastor Rob. Matthew chapter uh, 27, verse 11. Meanwhile, while Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus said, replied. When he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. There's a whole sermon there. Sometimes it's just better if we keep our mouth shut. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At the time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Another sermon, men, you should listen to your wives. I didn't hear any amens. All right. 
But the chief priests and the elders uh, persuaded the crowd uh, to ask uh, for Barabbas uh, to, uh, to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered. What did they say? Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he looked, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am what? I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. I want to say this is weak leadership. This is weak leadership. Maybe his wife should have been leading and not him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar started. Okay, we read that. He washed his hands. Verse 25, all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus, what? He had Jesus flogged. What does that mean? Just picture Jesus, falsely accused. He's already been spat on. He's already been beaten a little bit. There's a rock. They, 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 they bend him over this rock. So now his back is wrapped around, you know, his arms are wrapped around it. His back is tight, his shoulders back exposed. They take a, a, a whip, imagine a stick with pieces of leather hanging from it. At the, the bottom of the, the uh, pieces of leather, whatever scraps that were sharp around, maybe rocks, maybe pieces of broken pottery, they would tie to the end. And then they would literally take this and beat the son of God. And because Jews were all about staying within the law, they were allowed 40 swats, but they would only do 39 just to make sure that they were, they were within the law and, and not outside the law. Jesus was beaten. And I'm not gonna get into all the graphic stuff. I've read a doctor's account of what it would look like and it's, it would it'd make you throw up. But as we're reading this story, this is what happened. Jesus is flogged. The second stop that I want us to look at is called noise of the crowd. So the first stop was shame. The second stop is noise of the crowd. Did you hear the noise of the crowd here? We read about it, right? The noise of the crowd. They were uptight. They were angry. They were ticked off. They were, uh, they were religious leaders uh, throughout this. I believe in their hearts, they really thought that they were doing the right thing, um, but they were missing it. And the crowd was loud, right? And the louder the crowd got, the leader, Pilate, in this situation is listening to the noise of the crowd instead of the silence of his wife and even the truth that he was displaying by his responses, washing his hand and saying, I have nothing to do with this, weak leadership. The noise of the crowd was what was winning out. And I want to bring attention to that because the crowd is making a lot of noise today. It's always made a lot of noise, but I think because of, of technology, the, the, the noise is more at our fingertips. And so we hear a lot more of the noise and we are listening to the noise. It's out there. And the question is, are you going to give in to the noise of the crowd or are you going to give in to the noise of God's word? 
Because this is really important, church, that you pay attention to this, that I pay attention to this as the shepherd of this congregation. This is the noise which I need to live under, which you need to live under. It's not what's popular. It's not what's making the most noise. It's not CNN. It's not Fox News. And it's not all the garbage in between those extremes. It's this that needs to be the loudest in our life. This doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be added to. There's nothing that needs to be subtracted from it. It doesn't need to be updated. It is God's word. And it's really sad to see what's happening in our world. And it's really sad to see what's happening in churches across the nation with progressive Christianity, which is not Christianity. You don't pick and choose what is culturally relevant for today. This is the noise we need to be listening to. This is the noise that our children need to be listening to. This is the noise our teenagers need to be listening to. This is the noise our counselors, psychologists, MFTs need to be listening to. This is the noise our president and our government needs to be listening to. This is the noise the teachers need to be listening to. This is the noise the pastors need to be listening to. This is the noise. And I'm just just going to go out on a limb and I'm thinking the noise out there is just going to keep getting louder. And this is this pastor's personal response and you have to deal with God on this on your own. But just because that gets louder doesn't mean you and I as Christians get louder. Did you notice what Jesus did when he was being accused? When he was being beaten and he was being forced to answer, he let his actions speak louder than his words. I think sometimes we fall in the category of we just want to get just as loud as the world is. And we really miss out on an opportunity of witnessing. Let that sit there for a little while. So what, what's the takeaway from this city? the city of the noise of the crowd. If you're taking notes, write this down. Noise, and then put an equal sign and put a slash through it. Noise does not equal truth. Did you catch that? Just because something is louder doesn't mean it's truer. These religious political leaders believed they were so right, but they were what? so wrong. Their anger poisoned their hearts, blinded their eyes to the truth that stood before them. And what breaks my heart is leadership was influenced by the noise. Church, I am so susceptible to that. And I think I've been vulnerable with you on that, especially during these last two years. Uh, We had the perfect storm of um, race, politics, and COVID. And for a season there, my emails, my texts, my anything was being lit up by everybody's opinion and what I needed to share. Everybody thought that as the lead pastor, I should be sharing about this, about racial things, about this, about political things, and about this, about COVID things. 
God worked on my heart in a very quiet moment in my office with the lights off on a dark morning where I was struggling with all the voices. And he said, this is the voice. You could agree or disagree with me, but that's how I've led. And I, and I say from the bottom of my heart, if, if whatever I say differs from this, please go with this. Please go with this. Please go with this. Thank you for your grace, God. Help us not to listen to the noise of the world. Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his hands. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hell, the king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on the clothes. Then they led him away to crucify him. Was he going to be able to, start, or to finish what he started? And some of you go, of course, he's the son of God. And I would say, do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, take this cup, please? <laughs> Not my will, be, but, but your will. I wonder if there was moments along the way where Jesus wanted to say, you know what? I'm done. But praise God, he went through all this beating, all these false accusations, the flogging, the, 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 just the ridicule. Because I believe he saw your face and my face. I believe he saw your face and my face. That's what kept him going. And where there's hope, there's perseverance. Matthew chapter 27, 32, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They, they, they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall after tasting, and he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes, casting lots and sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above him, there was placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults, shaking their hands, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build in a three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and he will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. The last stop is the cross. The last stop is the cross. The cross was pointed to all throughout the Old Testament. The prophecies pointed all the way. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse four, it says, surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished that brought upon peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And it continues on. This is why Jesus continued to go on because he was thinking about you and I. 
Ephesians chapter two, verse four and five. But because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins, our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What is our souvenir? What is our takeaway from the cross? It's grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You and I do not deserve Jesus to go through all that horrific pain and that torture. We did nothing for him to do that, but he did it because he loves us and that's grace. And it's a gift that's undeserved. You can't run enough for it. You can't work enough for it. You can't pay enough for it. You just need to sit before the cross, stand before the cross, bow before the cross and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that's the takeaway from the cross. All right. From noon until three in the afternoon, verse 45, Matthew 27. Darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a, in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, which means, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Pastor John spoke on loneliness. I think that's probably the loneliest moment in the history of man. Why? Because the father had to turn his back on him because of my sin and your sin all piled up on him. Whew. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on his staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. <laughs> the rest said, Oh, in verse 50. And then Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtains what? The curtains of the temple tore from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, check out this response. They were terrified and explained, surely he was the son of God. Loose translation, whoops. Many women were there watching from a distance. They followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Verse 59, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary we're sitting there opposite of the tomb. One thing that John says about this that Matthew doesn't, that I think is important for our sermon, and I'll close out with this, John nineteen thirteen. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. You see, Jesus was able to finish what he had started. Friends, you could finish what God has started in you. Remember, shame, our first stop. The takeaway is keep going. Our second stop, the noise of the crowd, does not equal truth. And our third stop, the cross, grace. It's sufficient for all of us. Amen? Let me give you a spoiler. Not alert, a spoiler. <laughs> Next week, the end of the story is really good. <laughs> Come next week. Eight o'clock, 
9.30 and 11, three different times. If you want to be super spiritual, show up at eight. But bring a friend. Father, thank you. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.